This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. She was a female. Right. And she was, um, she's an army veteran. She's a U.S. Marshal. And these guys did not want to take orders or directions from her. Well, one of these task force officers, local cop, urinated in her cookies that man at one point grabbed her in the office when she was trying to walk by and started almost groping her and just feeling her up. Other people saw it and they laughed. She felt embarrassed. She was crying. She was humiliated. She left. So then she called me and it went from these accusations, these complaints, these, you know, charges to these, these guys controlling an investigation and investigating themselves. And keep in mind while all this is going on, I'm part, I have some of the biggest cases of the world I'm working. I'm part of the investigation, arrest, extradition, and trial of El Chapo. I'm a drug dealer. I'm a drug addict. I sell drugs. I steal drugs from the evidence locker. I steal money from the evidence locker. I sell social security numbers to her for fake ID. So while this is all going on, my wife's like, I want out of here. How many times do you hear people, men, you know, you mess with my family, I'll kill you. Right. Really? Really? You're going to do that? You're not going to do it. Everybody talks a big game. I had to do something. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am here with Bobby Lettiger. He is a former U.S. Uh, US Marshal. Yes. And uh, he's got an interesting story, and we're going to go over it real quick. So check out the interview. I'm originally from Queens, New York, Rockaway Beach, my whole life. I um, went to grammar school there and then high school. And after high school, I went in the Navy for about seven years. I was uh, military police, but in the Navy, that's called Master at Arms. Okay. I served in Desert Storm, and I became a military police investigator and then became a instructor for shipboard security engagement tactics. So while I was in the Navy, the Marshal Service uh, was recruiting. They created this program called um, Operation Shining Star, and it was going after targeting military personnel to join. And uh, I was one of them and was selected and went into the Marshal Service in 1995. So how long were you in the... In the, in the Navy. Navy, almost seven years. I went in right out of high school in 1988, and um, I got out of the Navy on a on a Saturday in June of '95, and on Sunday, June of '95, I was in the Marshal Service. I didn't even have a break a break of service at all. Okay. And um, you know, went to to training in uh, Glencoe, Georgia, and then after that, I went right to Eastern District of New York, Brooklyn, and uh, served almost all of my 25 years there in Brooklyn. In the beginning, I started out as a, a, a deputy in working court operations, prisoner transport, uh, serving some like civil process, administrative duties, and um, you know, doing my little rotations in the warrant squad. So it took a little bit of little time, and then I, you know, gravitated right to doing warrants and working the street and doing fugitive investigations. 
And after some special assignments of uh, protection details and even some high profile trials, I eventually was right into the warrant squad and did that. I bet your majority of my career is working warrants and I was lucky enough to be part of the uh, the New York, New Jersey Regional Fugitive Task Force, which started right after September 11th and um, funded by Congress. It's one of the biggest task forces in the nation and still is. And um, is, is that so is that what you like if you're like if you're a police officer, like, you know, a, a lot of them, you know, ultimately they want to work like homicide. You know, they want to like that's like is working the the um the fugitive or the war and the warrant squad is that like like what you like when you join is that like that's the goal that's or, it for the yeah when you're a deputy marshal with the u.s marshals that that's the that's it that's the the pedestal of being in the marshal service i mean there's so many different divisions and and sections but everybody wants to work fugitive investigation warrants you want to be on a task force I mean, I worked with the greatest cops in the world. I worked in, when I was in Brooklyn and the city, I worked with NYPD and, you know, coming from New York and then dealing with everybody in the nation here with different states, there's nothing better than, you know, NYPD detectives. They're like the best. Mm -hmm. And we had dozens of them. We had NYPD sergeants, lieutenants, then we had state police officers, immigration customs Right. officers there at DHS. We even had relationship with DEA and ATF, even FBI and Secret Service. Um, and we just worked together great. And it's, you know, when you when you join the Marshal Service, you know, you see it on TV and the movies, everybody wants to work fugitive investigations and, and right. track down the worst of the worst right. out there, you know? And in New York, you know, there's, there's no place better to work the street than there. Um, so I did that for years. Um, and stayed in Brooklyn mainly. And then, um, I was moving up, you know, with, with seniority. And then I put in and I, um, I took the test and I became a supervisor, um, <clears throat> back in like 2009, 2010. <clears throat> and, um, my chief is, um, great man. He, um, had a lot of trust and confidence in me, selected me to become the supervisor. I had to do a couple of months in the courthouse, you know, you know, working with everybody in there. And I then eventually my chief um, put me back into the warrant squad. And next thing you know, I'm there supervising now the guys and girls I worked with for years. But it seemed like everybody wanted that. You know, they wanted me back there because I knew what I was doing and I, I made things happen. And uh, I did that for almost 10 years. Uh, our warrant squad was, was part of the New York, New Jersey Regional Fugitive Task Force, which was in Brooklyn, New York City, as well as out in Long Island, which was Nassau and Suffolk County. Um, I was also responsible for that, along with other supervisors. So what happened is out in Long Island, it was a sub-office, and we had a... Um, we had deputy marshals rotating through there. Well, we had one young lady who was really interested in doing it. And um, it was me and another supervisor who selected her to go back there and work with the, um, with the local officers from Nassau and Suffolk um, County in Long Island to be full-time on the warrant squad. And she was gonna represent the Eastern District and she was a US Marshal. 
And this is now the U.S. Marshals. It's a task, our task force. Right. We so, run it. Okay. Um, well, she was doing good for a couple of years. Right. And then um, some of the guys that she um, she gravitated to, they were older and they retired, you know, and that was kind of like her her go-to guys. Well, the other guys in the, in the task force, they didn't really take too kindly to her. They would um, make fun of her, tease her, and then it just started escalating, and then it got into bullying, and then they would they would blackball her, they would ignore her, they would start messing with her desk. Um, and at one time, she went, you know, you go to the you know go to Costco or BJ's, and you get those big um, plastic tubs of cookies, animal cook crackers. Right. So she would put them on her desk and share it with everybody. Well, one of these task force officers, local cop, urinated in her cookies and left it there. And she knew you could smell it. Yeah. Well, and, what are the, what's the issue? Like, why did they? Well, it came out and um, she was a female. Right. And she was, um, she's an army veteran. She's a U.S. Marshal. And these guys did not want to take orders or directions from her. They just did not want to deal with her. They wanted to be, it was an all guys group out there. Right. And the, the icing on the cake is she was a lesbian right. and she was an open person. She, she spoke about, she was gay and she had a girlfriend and they did not want that in their right. group. They didn't want to, they didn't want to be part of that. But this girl, she, her name's out there, Dawn. Um, she was well-known, well-liked. The courthouse, everybody in there loved her. She was um, she was athletic, played softball, soccer. She participated in everything. She was, you know, a fun person to have around. How, how many guys are there here that are doing this? Is it three or is it six? I mean, is there like- Oh, it was up there. It was um, four to six guys that were messing with her. And it got to a point where she brought it to my attention and then I confronted- the supervisor that was out there running, handling those guys. And um, he just ignored it. He said, you know, suck it up. You know, he's not here to be um, a babysitter. When in fact you are, you're the supervisor. Right. You have to babysit some of these people. And everybody has to, they need to get along. They need to work as a, as a cohesive group. All the time. And, right. you know, you have, to, you have to develop a relationship. You have to be friends. You have to be partners. You have to get along with each other. You have to build something there. I mean, these guys are guys and girls are carrying guns, wearing vests, you know, and working the street and you're right. doing a lot of hours. Um, so she would do things and be like, Hey, you're not checking in with me. You're not telling me you're doing a hit. They would just go and do interviews and arrest people and not even tell her. And she's the team leader. She's the boss. So, um, after these guys found out, we spoke to the supervisor out there, they got more in range. So then they would, now they would bully her and, argue with her, totally ignore her, um, and then start teasing her. They would, in, in any, any, um, any marshal's office you work in, you know, you transport prisoners and they try to bring that legal work to the cell block. Right. And in their legal work is porn books. Right. You know, so we, we would seize that, they would be in a box. Next thing you know, some of these magazines are heading up on her desk and they're opening up pictures of girls on top of girls. They're playing porn in the office where you hear the moaning and she's the only woman back there. Right. So 
it's a couple of guys against her. We bring that forward too, and nothing happens, but now it just escalates more and more. Well, there was one task force officer who was had Spanish heritage, and he came out and he made her kiss him every morning to say hello. And this is on your team. These are your, your coworkers. Right. And she just did it all the time and just fell into that, you know, comfort of doing it. And when she told me about it, I was like, Are you kidding? You gotta be kidding me. Like this we don't do this. I right. don't, you know, I don't even do that with half my family members given kisses right. hello. So that man at one point grabbed her in the office when she was trying to walk by and started almost groping her and just feeling her up and calling her a sexy bitch. Right. And other people saw it and they laughed. She felt embarrassed. She was crying. She was humiliated. She left. So then she called me and then that was it. I was like, you're just stay home. And then I confronted the supervisor again. And he now then went and said something to the guys. And it went over the weekend and that guy was told not to come back. Well, two other guys didn't like that. So they showed up on one morning while they were preparing to do a hit and arrest. And people were like, why are you guys here? You're on a different team. And they were like, oh, we're just here to back you up. So when they went in the house, they get the perp, but Dawn was sitting on another person in the house just watching. Right. And one of those guys walked by and pushed or shoved their hitter like a shoulder to the back right. and made her stumble. And this gave her a look. And the look was after she told me was, we can get to you. Right. You know, what are you doing? Why are you talking and stuff? So that moment I told, I took her off the task force, had to go report it to my chief. And um, she just reported so much more stuff that was happening. And it went up the chain to headquarters at the marshal service. And in the beginning, internal affairs was going to investigate this, but some other leadership personnel who were over the task force got involved and suggested that they have an investigator come and investigate what was going on there. And it went from these accusations, these complaints, these you know charges to these, these guys controlling an investigation and investigating themselves. And this, okay. this executive from the headquarters selected a, an investigator who was at a New Hampshire, who was part of the task force in New Hampshire, who knew the guys in the task force in New York and Long Island. Using forgeries and bogus identities, Matthew B. Cox, one of the most ingenious con men in history, built America's biggest banks out of millions. Despite numerous encounters with bank security, state, and federal authorities, Cox narrowly and quite luckily. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, 
Priceline. Avoided capture for years. Eventually, he topped the U.S. Secret Service's most wanted list and led the U.S. Marshals, FBI, and Secret Service on a three-year chase while jet-setting around the world with his attractive female accomplices. Cox has been declared one of the most prolific mortgage fraud con artists of all time by CNBC's American Greed. Bloomberg Businessweek called him the mortgage industry's worst nightmare, while Dateline NBC described Cox as a gifted forger and silver-tongued liar. Playboy magazine proclaimed his scam was real estate fraud, and he was the best. Shark in the housing pool is Cox's exhilarating first-person account of his stranger-than-fiction story. Available now on Amazon and Audible. So he investigated it, and it turned from these, you know, an assault, sexual harassment, and, you know, bullying, all, all these things, to an investigation on office culture, which lasted a couple of months. And the finding in that report was that I was a bad supervisor and Dawn was the problem that enraged these guys because she was not a good coworker. Okay. So, and all these people involved, even they interviewed people that were never even there, but were part of the task force, just couldn't stop praising the great work and personalities of these other guys. Right. Which we all knew was fault. We all knew. You just know, you know, and too many other people were coming and making, supporting Dawn's allegations. Well, while that was going on, the one task force officer who hit Dawn, shoved her, he found out I was going to a New York Mets baseball game during this investigation. And uh, him and a couple other task force officers made it a point to go to that baseball game, which was in Queens, and it was on law enforcement appreciation night. And he confronted me at the game, and we got into a big argument, cursing and nose to nose, we were gonna fight. And uh, it went on for a couple of seconds, and then it just stopped. I walked away and left, and I reported it to my my chief. Like this is what happened. This is going to be, you know, an off duty incident. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get investigated. But um, so strange that it was law enforcement appreciation night. There was a bunch of members from the New York City task force office there who witnessed this, and one happened to be the chief of the whole task force. So the next day, he made it a point to remove that task force officer from the task force. And, but he was still able to work with them, but he couldn't be in the courthouse anymore, couldn't be in the office space. So the results come out about the um, office culture investigation. Right. So now my chief is livid. He's like, this is insane. You know, first of all, I wasn't even there when these things were happening. So how can I be a bad supervisor? And when I did hear about it, I, Reported it. Reported it and got yeah. involved and confronted the supervisor. So my chief and, and the marshal then argue with the leadership from the marshal's headquarters. And he's, you know, they go through the whole list of complaints. They're like, you investigated all this and went through this stuff and found nothing, nothing at all. You're going to let this deputy marshal female tell you that somebody peed in her food. Right. And you're going to ignore it. Well, one of the people on that, telephone call said he didn't know about that. And now that we bring that to his attention, he's going to instruct internal affairs to investigate that 
specific incident, just that one, right. not these other ones that she had listed. So you wait a month or two, internal affairs comes into the office, which they're terrible. They're absolutely horrible. They're the people that cannot get into the warrant squad. They're jealous. They're angry. You know, they're tools. Right. So they come in. Now their first person they want to interview is the guy who tried to fight me at the baseball game who's no longer on the task force. So now we're a year after this all started from the office culture investigation. And he comes in and they sit him down in internal affairs out in Long Island. They they come up and uh, they ask him, you know, do you know why you're here? And he says, no. And they're like, well, is there anything you would like to tell us? And he goes, yeah, I would. He goes, "Um, Bobby Lediger is a racist. He, um, He covers up crime. He's the biggest problem in the task force. This is a year later now. This never came out during the office culture investigation. I wasn't even mentioned. Is this guy black or Hispanic? Oh, no, he's Greek. He's Greek. Okay. From Long Island, white guy. Right. And uh, we all hung out. Like we right. were all worked together, went out to the bars together. Well, that's the worst thing you can say. That's it. He's racist. Racist. Yeah. So then him and his coworker partner who was on the task force kind of agreed. Right. And then he interviewed him. Yeah, he's a racist. He says the N-word all the time. And um, everybody knows about it. And we're only coming forth now because of how much damage Bobby Lediger caused to the task force by having him removed. I'm like, okay. So this goes on. So now they try to create scenes or scenarios or incidents where I said specifically the N-word. And one was during an arrest, and they said that, um, and one of the other guys who were one of the bad actors in this tased the perp when we were arresting him, and it was a white guy. Right. And in the past, they had stolen a car. We got into a car chase. It was an arrest in Long Island at a gas station, and they were like, yeah, Bobby Lediger went up to the white girl, and there was a black guy passenger in the car. And there was supposedly a white girl in the back seat and said, that's what you get for dating a black guy, the end guy. Yeah, yeah. But so odd is that the white girl on scene was Dawn, the marshal. Right. Who was in my car during this. But internal affairs didn't want to hear that. But they were using that scenario, that incident. Right. But what's more strange is that one of the guys, the marshals, tased the the perp who was getting arrested. So if you were to pull that taser incident report, you would know the full investigation of that, what right. it was. So yeah. you could see all the players there, but they didn't. Right. So then he came out and they were like, yeah, we hear that he says the N word at parties. You know, We're out at bars with him and it makes us feel uncomfortable now. And we have to tell you this now because it's so bad. Because it took us a year to come up with this. Longer, right. yeah, so. long, yeah, it's going on for years, but it, yeah. Um, but then they started shooting themselves in the foot because then the supervisor goes, yeah, I think he does say the N-word. Well, you're a supervisor. Why didn't you report me instantly when you heard that? Right. So you're a dereliction of duty. These other guys are not supervisors. They're investigators. So they'll play that. So they investigate me and they're like, you're a racist. Then they said one of my sources of information, my an informant, was um, married to my wife. And that's why he's my informant. 
And what? What? Yeah. That one I, of your informants was married to your wife. This is what the the bad actor said about me: that I was a, associated with a felon, right? And he and I owned a gym together. Okay. And that same guy is my informant. And prior to that, he had okay, been married. You said married. No, this was a story they made up. Okay. That he was married to my wife. So your current wife, he. So your current wife was his ex-wife. Correct. Okay. Yeah. All lie. Total lie. Right. And well, you would think that would be easily, easily discounted. You know. Proven. Oh no, no. They were questioning me about that. Everything. And they were like, "You let your informant live at your house." He was married to your wife. They're having sex. I'm like, this internal affairs. These right. are my own people asking me these questions. So what, are, what are you trying to get at? So it's all lies. Right. And um, you can easily find it. The best is that they said I owned a gym with him. I don't go to the gym. Right. You know, I'm like, look it up. Do these reports. There's no financial gains here. Nothing. Lies that right. people were making about me. Other cops were lying about me, but we're not going to go after them. Right. And... Well, that's really the culture now, isn't it? That you could basically lie, blatantly lie and accuse people. And then when you find out that that's untrue, nothing happens to the person that lies. Nothing at all. And now, what if, what if a famous quote we would say to people when we were investigating to a fugitive and you find and like, oh, we're going to charge you with harboring a fugitive, aiding and abetting and lying to law enforcement. If right. you lie to me, I'm a federal agent. You go to jail for five years. Right. But what about these Task force officers who were oh. deputized that are lying to internal affairs, so about another right. government official. Nothing ever happens to them. I mean, these people should have been arrested right. and charged, but no. And internal affairs would just turn around and be like, well, we're just, we got to investigate the accusation that's brought forth. But it's a lie. Right. And we've told you that. So this goes on, and I completely deny everything, and there's no evidence to show I did anything. But some people from in, from the marshal service, the internal affairs investigates it, and then they push it forward, and they write up their report, and they cherry pick the words, right? And it's all selective and opinionated. And then we have what's called a proposing official. This person turns around and says, "I don't believe Bobby Lediger. I believe these four to five other people that you are a racist and you use the N word hundreds to thousands of times a day." Even though the only people saying you do it are these four guys that I have. Four, four bad actors right. that are originally named in the complaint of sexual harassment. And even though you're, you have outstanding evaluations, you have awards, and you, you, know, you work with the most diversified group of people, and there's no complaints at all about you, nothing ever brought up. You don't have any complaints from any people you arrested, anybody in the public, nothing. We believe them. You're a liar and we're going to fire you. And so this was in 2017. I was proposed removal. I had to hire a lawyer because we have no union and we have some silly association, the Federal Law Enforcement Enforcement Officers Association. It's, it's a joke. And uh, I have a private attorney. Costs you a lot of money. Right. And, um, I go before this deciding official now. We have like two months to prepare. I collected hundreds of letters of support. My background was perfect. And um, I go before this woman who's a chief and plead my case to her and present evidence 
of those people being racist and sexist and degrading and lying about me. But what's so strange is that before I get to do that and sit down with her, the day before, she oddly gets a phone call from a civilian who wants to report to her that I steal cell phones from people I arrest and I gave her one and that I'm a bad person. Okay. It's very confusing, right? right? So this woman was the ex-girlfriend of one of the guys I worked with in the task force who was friends with these bad actors in the task force, rode a motorcycle with them. Well, somebody, one of those men gave her their name and phone number to the deciding official, right. which is all secret. This is all yeah, private. Which should tell you something's wrong right there. Right off the bat. Right. And then that I stole a cell phone and gave it to her. So you're in possession of stolen property. Right. Does she yeah. have a cell phone? Does she yeah. provide the cell phone? Did she? Well, this is even better. That deciding official tells us, and my lawyer is like, you have to start in it. You have to report that to internal affairs. Right. So now I have a new internal affairs investigation on me while I'm getting proposed to be fired. Right. And uh, now we move forward towards our hearing talked to her for a few hours and the woman is just blown away. You're like she can see it. Yeah. She's like, this is pure retaliation. This is horrible. So do, do, are you allowed to present witnesses or are you just? No, it's no. just me and her with my say, lawyer. Like couldn't show up and say, this is what's going on. No, but Dawn wrote a letter in support of me. That's the okay. best you can do is that we have letters of support to refute that. And right. she read everyone. She listened to me. Um, and she just asked for some additional supporting documents that my lawyers provided. But keep in mind, I'm being proposed to be fired. Right, I which lost, is a big deal for- A federal agent. Yeah, federal I agent lost, to be fired. Yeah. I lost my gun, my badge, everything, but I still had my title and I have to go to work every day in administrative roles right. while I'm being like waiting. Yeah. yeah. So um, this is in 2017 and now we leave and it was on Good Friday. And she, when we left, the lady was like, have a happy Easter. I knew I was going to win. Yeah. Okay. And um, that she was going to, and it was like a week later and she found, she cleared me of everything. It was uns, unsubstantiated. But keep in mind, I don't get my attorney fee money back. Right. I don't get any personal money. I spent nothing. You don't get nothing back. You know, it's just stress on you. And um, now I haven't... An, open internal affairs investigation for supposedly giving this woman a cell phone. So now I have IA looking at me again after I just got cleared. Cleared. Yeah. So that goes now, that's April, 2017. But are, are you start? I'm sorry, I hate to interrupt. No, please. Are you starting to feel like, like this isn't gonna work? Like they already know this might not work, but we're gonna keep throwing stuff until we get rid of this guy. Like at this point, it's like, okay, so, at this point, these guys are just going to continue to hound me until they get rid of me. Well, is that what, are you feeling like that? Like, I mean, look, they've already lied this investigation. You know what? Throw another one at them. Throw another one at them. Throw another one. Like, it's something will stick eventually. If it, it got to that point a year or so later, and um, and I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a scholar, and maybe I'm too stupid to realize what was going on, and I'm very shocked like how could you do this to me knowing that i have my chief and my marshal and everybody supporting me 
even other people from the task force are like, this is crazy what's happening. And I'm still in my position of power of being a supervisor right. to Warren Squad. And keep in mind while all this is going on, I'm part, I have some of the biggest cases of the world I'm working. I'm part of the investigation, arrest, extradition, and trial of El Chapo. Okay. So with a, my name is right there on the paper as being a supervisor on this investigation with other marshals I worked with, with the DEA out in Long Island. Huge. Right. And it's happening in Brooklyn. As I'm being investigated, this is going on. So I'm under investigation. It lingers for two years. Not until April 2019 do I get a notice from Internal Affairs that they want to talk to me. It's like, you got to be kidding me. This is this has been going on forever. Right. So thinking nothing's going to happen that they would have just dismissed it. Right. As that's happening, I also arrest a U.S. Marshal's top 15. It's like an F equivalent to a FBI top 10. Right. This guy, Andre Nevison, wanted in Brooklyn on the Marshal's top 15 for a decade. Was on America's Most Wanted with that John Walsh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he murdered his sister and his girlfriend. Okay. So, so many people worked that case. They stepped all over it. It was a disaster. I come in and uh, we get a teletype that his um, FBI number is hitting in Connecticut. But what, what does that mean? That he was fingerprinted and it comes back his match his fingerprints match this fbi number but the name and the date of birth aren't the same so Bridge, bridgeport connecticut let him go they let him go they don't follow up so we come in to work the next day and i got the teletype and we're reading over it and i asked one of my analysts to call up there to find out and uh we go back and forth we're like can you share a picture with us so we're like holy shit this is the perp right this is the guy so now I have to make a couple phone calls. People are like, nah, there's no way. He's in Trinidad. He's dead. He's that. It's his fingerprints. It's him. It's him. It's solid. So now we're trying to do some due diligence because of the different name, AKAs and that. It's, it's so not, now it's not my, hard to get a DM. Uh, it's not. Yeah, it's not. So it wound up being like a traffic violation. And so to Bridgeport, we, PD, we start working well with them and they're giving us information, sharing photos, information on the car. And... I go in and my chief now is working with a couple of the other supervisors and they're planning the trial security of El Chapo. So I walk in and it's, I'm like, hey, we're going to arrest a top 15. And he just laughs. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Meanwhile, I just got done working El Chapo with the extradition and I'm under investigate criminal investigation. Right. So within an hour, I had set it all up with guys up in Connecticut, coordinated everything, and they were sitting outside his house, and they're calling me, and they're sending me video and photos of our guy sitting on his porch. But the marshal like, hey, we're waiting for some backup. You know, this guy's a major player. You know, we killed two people, right. his sister and a girlfriend. So, yeah, and well, know he knows he's going to go to jail for the rest of his, his life. life. So, yeah, yeah he's, he may very well you did, yeah. put up a fight. But he's got away with it so many times. He's been on the run. But he's, I'm like, he's wanted out of Brooklyn and he's in Bridgeport. This So um, within an hour, they call me up, send me a photo. They're like, we arrested him. And I got a, the deputy marshal up there. He's like, thank you. You just made my career. I arrested a top 15. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Not looking for any yeah. anything. I did my job. So I go in and I tell my chief and he's like, I can't believe this. That year, our district, Eastern New York, as district of the year, 
for being one of the largest districts in the nation, eighth largest district in the nation for the work we did with El Chapo and the arrest of this top 15. The, right. Because of me. Right. But no crap. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You did your job. And I'm under criminal investigation. So now I go after that. The same guy from the marshal's headquarters who made the decision to investigate me, to investigate themselves, the task force, this guy comes to Brooklyn a day or two after we arrest the top 15 because he wants to walk through the courthouse to see what's going to go on with the El Chapo trial. So he's an executive. He's right. like the number two guy of the marshal service. So he comes in, sees me, he gives me the typical handshake and the, you know, the street hug, right. you know, like he's proud of me and all that, but never congratulates or thanks me for doing a job well done because right. he's stabbing me right in the back as everything's going on. So there I have my opportunity to call him out. This is the number two guy at the marshal service. Right. So I'm not a coward, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. We can talk, we can debate, we can fist fight, we can argue, I'll do it all. Right. So this guy is just a regular deputy, just like me. He came up through the ranks, you know, it's just that he, he took all the tests and he transferred from where he was. Now backpedal, he was from New Hampshire. And the right. person who investigated the office culture case was from New Hampshire. Okay. So they all know each other. But this guy, the number two guy, he's uh, running the marshal service. Totally forgot where he came from. Right. So I'm like, you know, you're a real, right. you really suck, man. I go, you know what they're doing to me and you're letting this happen. He's like, we're just going with what internal affairs is investigating. You know, whatever comes, is whatever accusations are made, we have to investigate. But you initiated the investigation. Right. You created this and now it just snowballed out of control. And because you want to protect your congressionally funded task force, because if Congress hears about this or the public hears about this, you're going to look like a real piece of garbage because you let sexual harassment take place right. here and you didn't defend or protect one of your own. You went against your own to say that we were wrong and look what we did when our own were wrong, we got rid of them. When the other people, the outsiders were wrong, but you didn't want to have that political battle with outside law enforcement. Right. It's silly, but it's true. It right. happens. So now I just do this big arrest. I'm under IA. Now I get noticed that they want to talk to me. So finally, now I have to go to headquarters with my own private attorney. Again. Again. Right. So now I go there and I'm summoned to be there for two days. Two days of investigation against me. And it's stemmed and it's a whole list of things. And it's just because of a phone call from a woman. That That's says, how it started. That's how okay. it started. That's how it started. And that was in the middle of the interviews. In the very beginning, they asked me if I was a racist, if right. I used the N-word. So my lawyer's enjoying this. Yeah. Like, yeah. that was already investigated and closed. What are you doing? Right. You know, you're harassing them. You're retaliating. So we put it on the record. It was there. Then they said... Um, they asked me about the man who started, started all this. So we're like, this has already been asked and answered. It's already done, what are we doing here? So then they went in and said, one of the deputies that worked for me years ago got pulled over in New Jersey for speeding and he got a ticket. I'm like, okay. They're like, we have a text chain of you two talking and 
you telling them like, all right, well, just go take care of it. Right. Did you, you, you called the New Jersey state police and fixed a ticket. I'm like, that's what you're getting off this day. So they said, I, I misused my power to get a ticket fixed, which I didn't. And right. that deputy admitted it saying I didn't do anything, right. but still they use my, yeah, they just throw enough at you. But that was one thing that was abuse of power. Then they went in and said, um, I stole a cell phone that they have a photo of it, but they don't have the cell phone. <laughs> then the, that lady said, I gave, she had a shotgun and I gave her shotgun bullets, but they don't have any of that. And now she has a criminal history. She had, she'd been arrested before, so she shouldn't be in possession of a gun. She said, I stole a camcorder and gave it to her, but they had a picture of the camcorder that had the serial numbers on there, but they didn't run it. We don't know what that is. Right. We don't um, know if that was stolen. Well, it gets even better. I was going to say, then, first of all, she's admitting that she's a felon in possession of a firearm. That's three-year mandatory yeah. minimum. In New York. In New York. I was going to say, federally, that's... But that's New York. It's the worst state in the world to get charged with a gun crime. You know, you're going well, in. But they don't... They don't they, care. Yeah. Because it, it's against me, Bobby Lettiger. Right. Then she just adds more to it, and it gets better. I'm a drug dealer. I'm a drug addict. I sell drugs. I steal drugs from the evidence locker. I steal money from the evidence locker. I sell social security numbers to her for fake ID. So me and her are collusion for, with social security numbers to people. I file for bankruptcy, which destroys your security clearance if I ever did that. Right. I am a bouncer at a bar. I'm five foot six, 160 pounds. Right. I'm a bouncer at a bar. Yeah. I don't fight, you know. <laughs> um, I cheat on my wife. My wife cheats on me. I misuse my government vehicle. I. You dislike, you don't like children or small animals. Nothing. All that stuff. Right. But yet I would hang out with this woman with her then boyfriend when we were working all together. We went out to dinners, restaurants, bars, but all of a sudden this, but can't provide any evidence on any of this stuff. So the marshal service takes it and runs with it. And they're going more and more and more and asking me all these questions. They never give me a drug test. They never do an inventory of the evidence lockers. They don't want anything that doesn't support their version of the events. But why not? Why wouldn't you want to know the truth? Why wouldn't you want be like, wow, this guy is getting screwed here. And we, he's another marshal. We're going to investigate one of our own. That's what it really comes down to. And we're going to destroy him. Right. He's well known. He's got over 20 years in the marshal service. He's a supervisor. He's in a Warren squad. I've been involved in four shootings. I've got a great reputation. The men and women I work with love working with me or for me. I don't have any complaints against me. Why wouldn't you want me to be cleared? Why wouldn't you want to find the truth? So as I'm sitting there with uh, internal affairs. I'm hoping you know that. Do you, have, do you know the answer to that? No, I'm so I'm looking trying, for it, man. I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to think of one. Well, I think it's funny as I have people ask me and they're like who is Bobby Lettiger like who am I that this that you came at me so hard that you spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to investigate me I mean it got so bad we lived in Long Island New York I had a beautiful house I had a mother and daughter house on a half acre land nice big pool in the backyard I would have parties at my house every year for all the guys and girls I worked with friends family and 
I had to work in Brooklyn and I was a good hour or so from home. And my wife was home alone. My mother-in-law lived next door. And um, the neighbors would tell my wife and my mother-in-law that there's undercover cops sitting on the block. And then we were getting screws put in our tires. They were coming on our property and doing putting stuff in our cars. We were getting and pulled over. All of this started because you told a couple of fraternity guys, stop bullying this chick. A hundred percent. And it's a fact. That's why it started. It's a fact. It all came out because those same men who were bullying her and hit her and harassed her, they admit it in their own statements that I violated the blue wall. I went against them. I believed her over them. And they admit it. And the internal affairs saw it. And in my own people, my own leadership read it, saw it. And they knew people were coming after me. So now these people put my family and life jeopardy. They, right. they put my wife in fear. So while this is all going on, my wife's like, I want out of here. We turn around, snap at a finger, and we sell our house in Long Island. Buried by the U.S. government and ignored by the national media, this is the story they don't want you to know. When Frank Amadeo met with President George W. Bush at the White House to discuss NATO operations in Afghanistan, no one knew that he'd already embezzled nearly $200 million from the federal government, money he intended to use to bankroll his plan to take over the world. From Amadeo's global headquarters in the shadow of Florida's Disney World, with a nearly inexhaustible supply of the Internal Revenue Services funds, Amadeo acquired multiple businesses, amassing a mega conglomerate. Driven by his delusions of world conquest, he negotiated the purchase of a squadron of American fighter jets and the controlling interest in a former Soviet ICBM factory. He began working to build the largest private militia on the planet, over one million Africans strong. Simultaneously, Amadeo hired an international black ops force to orchestrate a coup in the Congo while plotting to take over several small Eastern European countries. The most disturbing part of it all is, had the US government not thwarted his plans, he might have just pulled it off. It's insanity. The bizarre, true story of a bipolar megalomaniac's insane plan for total world domination. Available now on Amazon and Audible. And I'm still working and she works. I have a couple of years till I can retire. My family is it's good. They, we have a, a condo in, in Queens. So me and my wife are staying there. My mother-in-law had to go stay with another family member. And then we wound up buying a house in Florida while we're still working. So my wife's like, that's it. She talks to her boss. He finds out what's going on. People are like, this is insane. This can't be happening. And it's like the movie Copland. You know, it's a Vestas Sloan where all the dirty cops are yeah. live in one neighborhood. So we're like, no, it's happening, you know? And even my own chief just couldn't believe it. And they were like, what are you doing? Like, I'm like, how do you protect, how do I protect my wife? Right. What do I do? You know, you hear all these people, you know, and I, not to diminish anybody or, or, or anything, but how many times do you hear people, men, you know, you mess with my family, I'll kill you. Right. Really? Really? You're going to do that? You're not going to do it. Everybody talks a big game. I had to do something. Right. And the only way to protect my wife was to leave the state. And that's what we did. And I stayed in New York and I would take leave and go back and forth to visit with her in Florida. She worked from home now 
in Florida from with her company out of New York, which was great. They helped us out a lot. Um, and now I'm, this is in 2019. Yeah, I was gonna say that I think the problem is that you you wouldn't like it's not a it's not a far leap because for you to do that because given the situation like you wouldn't think it would have gone as far as it has already gone so the idea that it wouldn't go a step further it it would be stupid to think oh no they won't they won't do anything to my wife they won't mess with my family they won't do no no they've already continually pushed that bar there doesn't seem to be a limit so i i can so to say hey look let's just let's just sell let's get out of this let's let's i mean i could totally see that because i was thinking wow that's that's like you know, you really, that's a huge step. But at this point, they don't seem to be stopping. So I don't see what other choice you have. Nobody seems to be looking out for you. No one is looking out for me. I Granted, I had the support of my own district. The people like backed me and like, you're a good guy, but that goes so far. Yeah. You know, I need presence. I need protection. I need money. You know, and you, what do you do? Right. So I, that was the best thing we could did. We didn't want to do it. You know, we changed our whole lives. And the agency, the marshal service knew I was doing that. I told them in internal affairs that I sold, I had to leave because you people did nothing for me. You knew they were coming after me. They told you they were coming after me and you did nothing. Right. And they still, to this day, you never helped me. Nothing. They have, they, they tell you when you're in internal affairs, you're sitting there like, well, you can call EAP, you know, the employee assistant program, you know, right. to, to vent to some lady in India that I'm feeling depressed or something. Right. Like, come on. So, and I'm still working. So now we'll back up a little bit again. And I'm still in internal affairs being interviewed. So they're asking me about being a drug dealer, stealing money. They're asking me then if I'm a bouncer. If they're asking me if I fix tickets. Now they want to see my cell phone. The government cell phone, here you go. They take it, they bring it in the back. It's gone for a couple hours. So they're downloading it. They come back and they had a folder and they open up their folder. They give me back my cell phone, government cell phone. And they're showing me pictures of a naked Playboy model. I'm like, okay. They're like, do you know who this is? I'm like, yeah, I know her very well. And uh, she was a fugitive that we arrested. Right. So I'm like, okay. So internal affairs is blown away. They're like, she's a fugitive? I'm like, yeah. I go, it was all over the news. It's all big thing. I go, it was a Hague act. She kidnapped her, her daughter from the husband who was in France. She was from Vietnam. And they issued a warrant for her. We arrested her the next day trying to flee the country with the daughter and brought her in. I said, we photographed everything that she had. She was an international Playboy model, a DJ. Right. And I'm like, I took pictures of the Playboy book to for identity and evidence. Here's all her clothes. Here's all her jewelry. Here's her five cell phones, her laptops. Here's everything, everything we have. Here's all the emails from the U.S. attorney saying thank you for all that information. All right. So it's a Here, so it's a case file. It's, it's a, a case a, file. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And it's all there. The emails are there. No, you should have deleted those pictures. I'm like, no, you can't. It was on a work phone. It's legit, it's evidence. I said, it's saved in the cloud. You can't get rid of that anymore because you people in the government created this cloud to keep it. And plus everybody knows about it. 
No, we think you kept those photos for self-gratification. That's a crime, you know, in the marshal service. Okay. Yeah, it's self-gratification. So the lady who's saying that to me, I just assumed that she was jealous because she did not look like the Playboy model. So that was a right. personal hit toward me. I'm like, I'm married. Been married for 25 years. My wife is absolutely gorgeous. And right. this is the year of the internet. Right. I don't need to take pictures of a Playboy book when I can just go on the internet and find whatever you want. This is what we're dealing with. These are grown adults we're coming up with these disinformation. So that was thrown out against me too. Then at, I was at one point being looked at or so-called groomed to be appointed as the U.S. Marshal in Eastern New York, Brooklyn, under President Trump. So like okay. I had people above me saying, you should put in your application to become a presidential appointee. While I'm being I, I criminally was, investigated, while that's going on, and then because my background is so well, and then I have such a great relationship with other people that are endorsing me. But I have my own agency trying to put me in jail. Right. But I have powerful people saying, you should be in charge. This is, the, it's a true tale of two cities, yeah, this whole story. It's, it's uh, yeah. So I put in, I'm like, this is great. So while they're investigating me criminally, they're investigating me also to be appointed. Bent is the story of John J. Boziak's phenomenal life of crime. Inked from head to toe, with an addiction to strippers and fast Cadillacs, Boziak was not your typical computer geek. He was, however, one of the most cunning scammers, counterfeiters, identity thieves, and escape artists alive, and a major thorn in the side of the U.S. Secret Service as they fought a war on cybercrime. With a savant-like ability to circumvent banking security and stay one step ahead of law enforcement, Boziak made millions of dollars in the international cyber underworld with the help of the Chinese and the Russians. Then, leaving nothing but a John Doe warrant and a cleaned-out bank account in his wake, he vanished. Boziak's stranger-than-fiction tale of ingenious scams and impossible escapes, of brazen run-ins with the law and secret desires to straighten out and settle down, makes his story a true crime con game that will keep you guessing. Bent. How a homeless teen became one of the cybercrime industry's most prolific counterfeiters. Available now on Amazon and Audible. So that's all going on. Um, so now we move forward into 2020. And I'm still lingering under internal affairs. Um, I've been interviewed by some people under the Trump administration for a, an appointment. Right. So just can't believe it. And um, at this point, my wife is totally disgusted with the government to no end. So what a waste of money so far. They like, just, it's, just it's, it's, an embar it's a shame. Like, and let's, I, I, what is it proudly can say that the American taxpayers got their money out of me. Right. I worked my ass off every day. So we're now we're in 2020. This is the year I'm eligible to retire, to have 25 years in the marshal service. I came on June 95. I can retire June 2020. So I think it was in February or Mo February, March, I put in to retire, that I want to retire at the end of June 2020 because all the, I just want out. Yeah. Well, 
one I put in to be to to request that I can retire in June 2020, I am now hit with another proposed removal from everything that internal affairs did to me. And of course, it's abuse of power, failure to supervise, lack of candor, um, misuse of my government vehicle, my phone, all the anything you can throw on there. So um, I have my lawyer again. We have to write up a rebuttal. I um, collect more letters than the first case. All my awards again, being part of the arrest with El Chapo and Nevison, great things. So we go now to headquarters to speak with the deciding official. And this lady actually knows me, personally knows me. She was my class advisor. We even had emails exchanged that she knew what was going on at the task force in Long Island of how I was protecting Dawn and that it was all messed up. Right. But she forgot that. So we sit down and talk to her. She only talks to me for about 15 minutes. So we knew she made up her mind. She was right. going to get me, fire me. And I sat there and I begged her. I go, listen, I'm just going to retire. I want to retire June. I can retire in June. It'll have 25 years, you know, leave me alone. So like I said, it's the end of February, 2020. You know what just kicked off? February, 2020, worldwide pandemic. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. We're right, shut right, down, right. man. That's it. The government is shut down. Everybody in headquarters is teleworking. They're you at think home. that would help you out. I was, we all <laughs> thought it would help me out. I'm like, I got, I can't win this fight anymore. So April, April 17th, 2020 is a Friday. I get an email from Human Resources Marshal Service Headquarters that I am awarded retirement June 30th, 2020. I can retire on June 30th, 2020. Perfect. I'm in Florida. I'm using up my annual leave and sick leave because I only have a few months left. Right. I have more time in my hand to use up than then time left to on retire. the job. Yes. So that was April 17th, 2020 of Friday. Monday, April 20th, 2020, four o'clock, my chief calls me, you're fired. They terminated you. Holy shit. Just like that, snap of the finger. And I just sat there and I was just, I couldn't believe it. And then I could believe it. And I'm like, all right, this is a joke, you know, worldwide pandemic was shut down. So I read what they write. And this lady who knew me, She's like, the marshal service leadership doesn't have the confidence in you to perform at a satisfactory level. I respond back, I too don't have the confidence to respond at a satisfactory level, but I've always performed at an outstanding level for the last 20 years and you all signed off on it, it was in my record. You don't even know what my evaluations are. Right. I'm above what you want me to be. And the best one was that the naked pictures of the, the Playboy model. I find that you did keep these pictures for self-gratification. Where's your you evidence prove? on? Where, you can never prove that. I've never right. printed them. They weren't on the, there was nothing. To get, like it was insane. But this is what they come up with. So we then file an appeal with what's called the Merit System Protection Board. It's a joke. It's a kangaroo court that's created by the government. 
it's supposed to be more for the employee, but it's totally turned tides and it's more for the government. And what happens is a guy like me doesn't fight them. You don't go up against the government. You don't have the money to do it. You have to pay for lawyers. I now am fighting them and I'm very fortunate. I have the National Police Defense Foundation backing me over the Marshal Service and they created a legal defense fund to help pay my legal fees. Nice. Um, My case is sitting and it's going to take a while. It takes years because it goes before a, a quorum, a three panel quorum. Right. And they're all appointed by the president. So Biden just last year appointed three of them. One already resigned. So now there's only two. It's like, you just can't. Right. Um, so that's that comes 2020. And um, what do you do? I got no job. I lost everything. Right. I lost my salary. I lost my pension. I lost my medical benefits. Everything. Everything's gone. And um, so for about a week, you know, I sat in a corner crying, depressed, feeling shame and embarrassment. And my wife was like, what do we, that's it. Let's go. You know? And um, I did some great things, man. I've, I had to go, I went on unemployment at a New York and um, I did that for several months. And then I, she's like, you got We got to get a job. You got to get something, but it's the, pand- the yeah, pandemic. Yeah. What, I'm screwed. What are you doing? Yeah. What job? What, what I put, put in for Home Depot. I couldn't even get that. Yeah. And next, you know, down where I am, I put in and I became a supervisor at a, um, a pre-planned retirement center. And it was pretty, it's a well-off place, but it was horrible, you know, getting $25 an hour, you know, but I had to do something, but they gave me benefits, you know, so I had to have it. But I was really lucky too because I'm a veteran and um, the VA here in Florida was great, you know, so I had bene- medical protection there. My wife had medical protection from her company. They were helping. Um, then I started searching around a little bit more and I wound up finding a good job through LinkedIn, which pushing my story out there. Right. And um, I now currently work as a security consultant for a, a nonprofit organization, international. I do a lot of traveling. It's great. Um, the organization supports the hell out of me for what I did and they can't believe it. Um, but also what happened during all this time is I connected with some great people on LinkedIn. Right. LinkedIn was great for me, for me. I didn't do Facebook or any of the other social media and I met this one guy who's an FBI agent, lawyer, who got jammed up. They went after him and he's fighting them as well. He put me in touch with another FBI agent who um, resigned before they could fire him. And he waited a few years until he reached a certain age. and he went back and got a government job. So I connected with that guy and he was telling me about it. And I'm like, I can't do that. He's like, you have over 20 years as federal law enforcement. Right. And he goes, you're over the age of 50 now. He goes, you have seven years in the Navy. 
I, I, I was terminated with 24 years and 10 months. Right. Yeah. To go. That's, 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 if that's not personal retaliation, you, right. you can't. And everybody knew it. Um, so this, this guy educated me and gave me the policies and the programs to follow. And I, I like saying I used the government against the government. Right. And I got my retirement. Okay. So I beat them at their own game and I got my full 32 years retirement, law enforcement, everything. I have my, my, uh, medical benefits and they give you a social security supplement till the age of 57. I mean, what'd you do? Go get another job and work for two months. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go into great detail. Okay. okay. I understand. That's the, fine. That's fine. Cause I'm fine. writing a book <laughs> okay, and it's going to be fine. in the book, but yeah, you know what? Yes. Right. Yes. But you don't know what I did how long I did it, but yeah. it's, it's amazing. And it's what you do to, to protect your family and yourself. Right. And you know, you can't let them get to you. And that's like the, the whole thing in my story is, you know, don't give up. Don't, right. don't ever give up. Don't, don't give in. Don't, don't let the bad actors take you down, you know? And that's what I try to put out there. Um, even when they come at you with things, you know, and the lies that people say about you and the, the false accusations and it just, it sucked, but you know, you fight through it and now you can, you know, I can look at these people right in the eye and know that they're, you know, they're garbage, you right. know, and I'm not impressed by them. You know, the government lawyers are not anything. They're still government lawyers. If you were that good, you'd be in the private sector. Right. Right? <laughs> I used to always say that, like, you don't get to the top of your field and end up working for the Bureau of Prisons. <laughs> like, you know, like the do from the doctors all the way down. Like, that's just not how it works. No. So, no. Um, yeah, it's, it's. Uh, I was going to say, there's a guy I interviewed who runs a YouTube channel. I should put you in touch with him. He'd probably be interested to, in your story, too, because he... Um, he actually, uh, you know, Wade, remember the guy that, that it was a self-defense, def, well, self but it was stand your ground where he was attacked in his own home by a guy and shot him, you right. know, but he was attacked. The guy was drunk. They'd both been drinking. The guy was drunk. He attacked him multiple times. He told other people he was going to kill him. And then he attacked him and Wade shot him and they arrested Wade. He got out. He's like, I was in my own house. You know, and this guy attacked me over and over again. You can see that I've been hit. You can see that, like, the whole thing. And um, it was really just one detective that had, she was just brand new detective, first case she worked, decided she wanted to, to get him. And they fought it. Um, he pulled $100,000 out of his retirement to fight the case. Mm -hmm. And it took, like, two years. And the only reason it didn't go forward, they didn't go forward with it, is because a new district attorney came in and his lawyer went in and said, I want to sit down with you and just show you the evidence. And he said, and he told Wade, look, it's a risk because we're laying out our whole case. And he lay, laid out the whole case and showed it to him. And the guy was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm dropping this. Okay. But yeah, you know, it, it's, you know, they, the other, you know, they pad the file. They, they hire somebody to come up with, to come up with a, forensic report that supports their version mm -hmm. they and i've done a lot of i don't know if you know you yeah. know much about me but I'm, yeah. i've written a bunch of, of stories right and i've uh of true crime stories and you know i have a guy who like literally they the fbi 
continually investigated this one person and asked they they padded the file with all of these people that said he did it 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 so by the time it's done you've got 30 people 28 of which said he did it you know but out of almost all of those they can't really tell you who told them that and it, it all really stems from one guy telling this guy who tells this guy who tells this guy and then so this guy talks to the fbi and says yeah yeah um so I, this is what what i've heard but it all really comes from one guy of course you know and then when you're completely done it's like it does look overwhelming and if you were to go to trial it would seem overwhelming because all these people would get on the stand and say yeah this is what he did you know but really if you look at it it's like okay well you padded the file like you only investigated people that supported your version your of the narrative story. Yeah, yeah your narrative so why didn't you matter of fact they they start they actually gave people people um lie detector tests until they came up with their version and then when they came up with their version they stopped giving it they just took the thing okay did you did you give them a lie detector test on that version well no because we knew we knew that was the version that we wanted to go with so why would we give them a lie detector test well that you know it's me you bring that up about the lie detector test and you look at like something like the the marshal service and you you wonder like what what makes it what's happening today with law enforcement and and I'm sorry, I jump around a little bit, but the marshal service does not do polygraphs. They don't lie detector new employees or even their staff. Why not? Right. Why wouldn't you raise the standards to have the best people out there? Instead, you lower the standards. You're doing away with some of the fit requirements, the education. Right. Why wouldn't you want the best people? Your your weapons quals. And it's amazing. And it all comes down to like the way the, the culture is today, you right. know, current events. And it's a shame. I mean, I was watching something a, a few days ago on ESPN, and they were showing a story of Whitney Houston, Whitney Houston singing the national anthem in 1991. Right. What happened? What happened today that now everybody's a racist, you know, and that's the, the thing to call out there. Well, you're white, you're a racist. Everybody's white supremacy. Really? Right. And what happened? Because she came out, beautiful woman. She's wearing sweats. She wasn't dolled up in a in a gown or anything, and right. she sang the national anthem, the best anybody's ever heard it. Oh. And when I went through what I went through, and to see that they pulled the race card against me to come at me, they just come out left field. Why? You like, never saw that coming. Never saw it all. coming. The best that they said to me, they were like, "I was such a racist," um, and I I didn't have, and it, you know, I don't even know the, the proper language to use anymore because you don't know what to say but they're like you don't have black people at your house like we had dozens of pictures i'm like i have to prove that i had black people at my house my own family members are married to someone of color or anything right and i have to prove this and i had a a, a guy I worked with big guy and we're the same age same exact age and um black guy from queens and we are, we're great friends. And he lives in California now, retired. He wrote one of the best letters for me ever. And he goes off on the letter saying, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the Marshal Service for investigating racism and doing what you're doing. But you got the wrong guy. Right. Why don't you ask me and I'll tell you who the racists are. But w- this is how you're going to do it? Yeah. They don't want to hear that. No, they don't. And it's a shame and you want to hear the truth. And then just the, the, the girl Dawn I defended, she's defending me today. 
So is we, she still in the marshals? No, she retired. And what's odd is though during her last year or two, she um they were going after her and making accusations like the same bad actors that she complained about made complaints about her that she took her dog to work. She uh she misused her government car, like all the petty ass things. And the same lady that decided to fire me made a decision to suspend Dawn. So then she filed an EEO and they settled with her because they knew the deciding official was showing favoritism toward the task force. So Dawn settled her EEO. They gave her back all her lost days. They promoted her and they gave her money. But you still came after me. Right. When the, the original thing was I defended Dawn, you right. know, for what it was. And it was all pure retaliation. But they pile it on. It's yeah. just like you said, they pad the folder, they yeah. pad the case, and they put so much in there. And they weren't even complaints against you. Like you're investig you're finding stuff to investigate. Well, I understand like they like the racism thing, like they have your phone, right? Like there's text messages, there's uh, like if I was so blatant and I'm saying this hundreds of times a day, then I certainly would have said it in a text. I certainly would have thrown it into an email. I certainly would have like nothing right no nothing at all but here well here's the conversation you and i just had now for the last hour or so it's it's the most you're going to speak almost in a week it's as long as we spoke and it's been hundreds of thousands of words we said maybe right not once did we say the n-word right but i say it all day long yeah and i you know i can hold i hold my head up you know like this you, you got me you know and and my dad says it and I get what he's saying. And it's a shame that he, he thinks like that. There he goes, even when you win, you lose. Mm-hmm. Because of all the money you I've lost over the years of going through this. And a, somebody just called me the other day looking for help. And he's like, well, how much did the did your lawyers cost? I'm like, more than your salary. Yeah. But don't you can't ask those questions. Yeah. You know, every everybody has a different amount. But if that's what you're worried about, to fight to yeah, yeah. to prove your yourself don't call me because you're going to spend a lot of money yeah. to fix this well you know like i told you about that guy wade he spent over a hundred thousand what if he didn't have it you don't have it what if you, he don't, didn't you don't you don't you don't have it nobody right. has it that's your life investments or whatever what are i going to do remortgage my house to pay for my attorneys right that's why they got you. the government got you you can't it's impossible you can't go take out a loan yeah, especially right. not if you were to go to the bank and say, oh, I need it for my legal fees. They'd be like, yeah, well, you're going through something <laughs> we're not interested in being a part of. Well, especially during a pandemic. Oh, yeah. There's no jobs out there to get a job to pay anything back. Right. So that that's where they think that you can, they can win. And they do. And they intimidate you and you're, you're afraid of them. Of what? You know, when you sit down and you start talking to these people, it's not impressive you know, they're lawyer- like we said, they're government lawyers. Listen, there's some U.S. attorneys out there that are unbelievable and they're very comfortable just staying in the position that they're in because they have a family and it's a nine to five job. Right. You know, but you go to the private sector, you're putting in 20 hours a day, Yeah. you know, to make 18 million a year. So you're going to, you're going to work hard. Yeah. So you're waiting, you're, you're waiting for this, <coughs> you're waiting for your, um, it's not a trial. It's a it's it's, it's, an, it's an appeal. Invest, it's an appeal. You're waiting for the appeal to go through. Yeah, 
And what I'm waiting for that is that my appeal is to get my Marshall's retirement. Right. And to get my um, back pay for the two plus years I've lost and to get um, attorney fees. And then that's it. Okay. In the meantime, I'm, uh, I work. I, um, I'm currently writing a book. Right. Um, putting it all out there, you know, and um, living right. in Florida, man, you know. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have anything else? No, you got anything? Um, no. One thing that I would think would be interesting if you can't talk about it, uh, like, like the El Chapo stuff or like the catching the guy on like the top 15 list from the Marshals, like the story, the story about that. It can be like a 10 minute version, five minute version, whatever. I can go into that too. And there's another thing too, more to add to my case, which makes it insane too, is that um, in August, 2014, we were involved in a shooting, right. arrest of a shooting of a guy named Oswald Lewis in Queens. And it was a drug case out of Virginia. And uh, we tracked the phone and it was at like 11 o'clock at night. Um, a house chopped up into apartments. We knock on the front door to the owner of the house. is like, no, he lives in the back. So we're there and um, there's about eight marshals there and about eight, 10 NYPD guys there. We surround the house. We knock on the door. Nothing. You hear the TV. We take the door. This guy goes into the back of the, the makeshift apartment and barricades himself into his bedroom. And uh, so we start making entry. And I, me and this one other woman I worked with, we didn't even get into the door into the door yet. We were on the frame of the door. And the perp puts his hand out and starts shooting oh, wow. at us. And now there's six marshals in this little place. Like, and, you know, they start returning fire. And... Um, you can feel, you know, it's hard to say, but you can feel the bullets going past your right. head. You can feel it, you know, the, the fear and the stress and the anxiety. And um, so some of the marshals wound up when he put his hand out, they shot his hand and shot the gun. And then the perp went and grabbed another gun and started shooting out the window where the NYPD cops were outside. So during... Did, you know, he finally comes out. He surrenders. We arrest him. And uh, <laughs> that's going to be bad. I was going to say, like, <laughs> I mean, after shooting at the cops, I think I'd rather just go ahead because you're about to spend the rest of your life in prison. No, this gets no. better. This gets better. So we get him. We put him. We are. We have EMS there and everything on scene within seconds. And it's New York. You know, right. everybody's coming. So um, we take him to the hospital. And um, now he's getting charged with, you know, attempted murder, yeah. federal agents and everything. Well, of course, in the courts, you know, it starts getting dwindled down. They're like, yeah, assault, you know, use of a firearm. We're like, it's felony for that. Like, what yeah, do you do? So um, he defends himself in trial. So while he's, but before the trial, NYPD talks with him. Now he's going to start talking. They hit him with a homicide in New York. He's got a drug case out of Virginia, and then he's got the shooting at us. Right. So right now he's in jail for 40 something years. Right, okay. So while he's in there, during now I'm under internal affairs investigations, he's making all these accusations that it was police brutality, 
Um, you didn't even get in the room before he started. No, shooting. but when we were handcuffed. We were beating him up, oh. calling him the N word. Right. Everything. There's hundreds, dozens of people there watching this, including EMS neighbors, other body cams, everything. Like, right. So this goes on, and the actual, the actual one of the actual marshals who shot him is not a white guy. Right. I'll leave it like that. He's yeah. not a white guy. He shot him. The perp. Right. They they remove him from the complaint. Okay. And then they remove the Spanish female from the complaint. Then they remove one or two other people from the complaint. So it's down to you. It's down to five people on the complaint that are white. On the complaint. While <laughs> I'm being investigated by internal affairs, it's all coming down. So now the U.S. Attorney's Office is representing us because it was in the line of duty that we did right. this. It was a case. So now the U.S. Attorney's Office has to rehabilitate my reputation because I was fired right. by the Marshal Service, which works for the Department of Justice, just like the U.S. Attorney's Office works for the Department of Justice. Right. So they're like, how do we do this? Meanwhile, the U.S. Attorney's Office, no, we know you're a great guy. So this is all going, I'm like, yeah, let's look what I did because they've already known. It's like they pull up and they're like, well, he's part of the whole investigation, um, extradition, trial of El Chapo in Eastern New York, where we had the biggest criminal in our lifetime there. Right. And it's like, we don't know what to do. And then I put on there too about the um, the top 15 fugitive, Andre Neverson. You know, the big, it was one of the most high-profiled um, high cases for the Marshal Service for years. It was you know, on America's Most Wanted several times, and they've interviewed several marshals that were working that case. Right. And then here it is, I, Bobby Lettiger, working with an analyst who worked from with me. We track down and locate this guy Nevis and all these great people from the task force that worked on that case. Right. Didn't arrest them. It was us. So, you know, that all went on, but now to go to go backwards to add to it, that person, the perp, Oswald Lewis, who made the complaint against me and other marshals of police brutality and racism, that was um, finally dismissed. That, But it was going to go forward in eastern New York as a trial right. against us, that he was suing us while he's in jail. And it's like, you, you just... You can't make this stuff up, what was right. going on. And this is all in my life. This is my life for almost five years of complete hell. And people are like, how did you... And only a couple of people said, I, I would have killed myself right. to go through what you were going through. And you're like, no, I'm not going to kill myself. You know, it's almost like... Um, it's like a badge of honor, you know, when I'm accused of all these things from people and I almost try to simulate it to those people who made all these accusations against me are like stolen valor right you know they've done nothing you know and they have to come take me down to get something and you know these people that i worked with that did all these bad things you know they they wear the t-shirt of the job i did right you know and i give my dad my t-shirts because he's proud of me and not them so, okay. 
Anything good with that or? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we've got a good point. We good? Yeah. All right, I'll wrap it. Well, one, I appreciate you you coming out, making the drive. How far what was the drive? Um, it was like an hour and a half. It was almost, I think it was like 99 miles. But okay. you don't think of it because I'm just down south, you know, in right. Sarasota. So I'm like, oh, Tampa's an hour. Yeah. So no, and it's it's all it's it's I seventy five. Like, but this is better anyway. Doing it, I I like you. It's a better relationship. Yeah. Talking like that, you know, and I'm all open. I mean, I'll uh, these well, are great. This is great for me, you know, for me, and then for you. If you know, even if you had Q and A and talk about other yeah. thing, and look, I'm even open. I'm close by. If you got talks you want to do. To bounce things off as a as from a cop point right. to your point, and be like, "What do you think?" You know, and we'll I'll debate with you on things or whatever, man. Yeah, no you know? problem. I was just I, thinking, it's funny. This, no, never mind. I was gonna <laughs> say this is might be the the uh, um, the public information officer for Okeechobee Sheriff's Department because I'm actually supposed to interview the um, the sheriff of uh, Okeechobee County Sheriff's mm -hmm. Office. Um, on a story I'm writing. So I was going to say they, they were going to call me today. I never get any phone calls during the day. So when it was ringing, I was like, that's probably the pub because he's calling me to schedule it. Yeah. Um, but it, it's funny too, how things turn out. Like I, I do talks in front of law enforcement. I, you know, well, um, I get that now too, is I have some stuff on LinkedIn. Like these people call me and they're like, Hey, will you talk this? Like people, and I, I'm blown away by it. And maybe because maybe I'm cold hearted, <laughs> right in a way but i'm like i'm not going to kill myself you know i'm like i didn't go to drugs i didn't go to to alcohol or medication and i didn't go to religion i'm not you know i, I am who i am and that's it i say, maybe i say things and i shouldn't say them but i say what i say and i own it you know and well you said but, people call you from people call me and they ask me to talk to other people who are in a tough spot right and it seems like a lot of veterans and it's really heartbreaking to hear it and for what they go through. And I feel, you feel horrible because you see the way it is today with law enforcement. And I can't believe in America is how much we discredit the military guys and girls. Right. And like military people, especially if they were in special programs like military police or any kind of rescue squad in the, in the military, like special forces or anything, they should be given the top of the, the list to join the police departments back here or the fire departments. You know, right. we should not be recruit just going to, you know, to Harvard to get somebody to be a cop. You need these guys guys and girls earned it and they should they should be given a job right away. Right. And they don't. And then you come back to America when they're overseas and these military guys and girls have the toughest time in the world to get their gun permits, to carry a gun in the in the country that they defended. Right. And you, you why? And everybody wants to put these these tags on them, well, they got PTSD. Really? You know, try to stand the post for eight or 10 hours, you know, protecting other people. Right. Just that in itself, protecting the front gate of a, an overseas base is glorious to what happens here in America. Yeah. And it's depressing. And it's to go backwards again to talk about Whitney Houston singing the national anthem in 1991. Like, what happened? Why did our politicians do this to us? I don't know. Listen, I I went into prison. Thirteen years later, I came out, and it's just such a vastly different world. Like, imagine being removed for thirteen years. When iPhones came out, I, I, there were no iPhones, right? So I go to prison. I come out. 
Everybody's walking around staring at their phone. Nobody talks to each other. Nobody wants to work. Kids don't want to work. Like I couldn't wait to work. Kids don't want to get their driver's licenses. They don't want to. It's like, it's, it's insanity. And people don't know how to talk to each other. They don't know, you know, there, there's so many, you know, the, the things that people argue, argue over are, you know, initially when I hear the arguments, I kind of scoffed it off and kind of laughed about it, you know, and, and now they're so passionate about things that seem so irrelevant. And it's like, are you serious? Like, like, the, do you, you guys know that China's probably going to invade Taiwan, right? You know, that there's that Russia's invading, you know, has invaded, um, um, why do I want to say Chechnya? Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine. Ukraine. Like, you, you know, there's like other things <laughs> yeah. that are going on. There are bigger problems, you know. You're, you know, we're, we're in trouble. We're in trouble as a country. Our military has been dismantled. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's dismantled. Yeah. And you need to spend so much money on things like that. And again, and where's the pride in want? Like, I went in the Navy when I was 17. I loved it. I, had a, I loved it. And... Let's revisit some some other things. Like, if you want to change the uh, the criminal justice system, let's invite c- criminals join in the military instead of going to jail at certain things. Let's let's revisit that. Right. Let's let's make things happen out there instead of focusing only on, you know, listening to sports figures tell us how to live our lives. Right. Or entertainers. You know, it's. Silly. It's, it's very silly, you know. I mean, there was, yeah, it's, it's dumbest stuff. Things, but I didn't look at them. I mean, like you're going to explain the whole thing anyway, and I have a brief understanding of what happened. But um, honestly, I've, I've been absolutely booked um, the last few days. Okay. So, or the last week or so. Um, but I mean, my basic understanding of the of, um, I don't know. It's not really a case. I really typically just I typically do like true crime stuff. I don't know if you looked at the channel or anything. I, I yeah, searched around a little bit. And, you know, my whole thing is trying to get my story out there and trying right. to get to bigger platforms. You know, like right. reaching up to you got to you and um, telling it because it's just insane, like what people say. Right. Um. But I get what you're saying, and um, I looked you up a little bit too to see your background. Right. And being my background, um. I, it's an odd thing too. Is I I arrested a Ponzi schemer, okay, years and years ago, and his name was wow. from New York, Long Island. But his family, his parents, lived in Spring Hill, Florida. Okay, and I had to send the marshals there, but not me. I with the U.S. Attorney's Office, and to revoke the bond and seize the parents' house. Oh, man. It's a scumbag move. Right. Well, know? I mean... But he's just gone, you know... Yeah, right yeah. But, I mean, it's... You know, the problem is, is that, like, if you're the... If you're the um, victim... Uh, silent mode, no, on. If you're the victim of that, you know, then, you know, obviously you're trying to claw back as much money as possible. So right. if he bought his parents' a house with the money, well, yeah. I mean, look, I'm sorry, your son's a scumbag, but yeah. we're trying to get this retiree as much money back that he stole this money from a, a retiree or something like. Well, he did good. He was good for a while. He's he scored like 250, 300 million, wow. you know, whatever he was doing. But it was him and his girlfriend, kind of wife, and um you know, to go, you don't let people out on bail, man. You can't. You can't do it if you're gonna. He's on trial in Brooklyn, and then he um he fled. Absconded. Yeah, 
Did he and, leave the country? Yeah, he went to we went up to Canada. Oh. And um but we hit his cell phone <laughs> and hit him he was hanging out. He 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 turned his phone on and uh in a subway deli store, you know, like a fast food place. Right. And uh boom, we had his phone and then Montreal police went in there and just snagged him up. Yeah. And then, you know, it takes extradition is a pain in the ass. And it took us a few months to go up there and get him and uh, came back. But what's really sad about the whole story is that his father was a loyal father. And then his father died after they seized his house. Like he just, he destroyed his, his own family. Oh, yeah. Family. So his last few six months or a year, it's yeah. your house is being, your son's thrown in jail. Your Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand. I've, I've been that disappointment. <laughs> so, um, but that was like the most intense criminal investigation case I ever did. Otherwise, I just worked warrants and worked the street up in New York and uh, part of the task force, and then just went off the, you know, street savages. Right. You know, savages. <laughs> completely. I've been in shootings, fights, everything. You know. Um. But you know the difference. You know you can tell that you know, clean clean business crime. To, yeah. Well, you know. I, it always <laughs> it always killed me when you know like you talk to these guys, these white collar guys that where the marshals show up and they pull their guns and they scream and holler and they're just like, "What the fuck is going on?" Like, whoa! Like I filled out some paperwork. Like I don't have a weapon. Like I get it if you've got a history of violence and stuff, but you know it's the whole overwhelming force or. Well, it's funny. Uh, there's a guy, Rashi, I forget his name, and it, it was in New York, and like he, he was a Wall Street guy. It was like half a billion dollars, something outrageous. And for him, they came and they like knocked on the door and they were like, "Listen, you got to come with us." Yeah, you know, they were real nice, and they he's and he was upset because like they parked in front of my building. I was like, "Parked in front of your building? Like you stole half of them, or you you were accused of?" Marshall doesn't know whether it's yeah, it's valid or not. You know, they don't know. Like I was giving them what I got to get this guy. They said he's a bad guy. He's got to come to jail. Yeah. So yeah, he was he was upset because like oh they had they had uh their their lights on. They embarrassed me. I'm like they they didn't pull their gun your guns. They didn't kick in your door. They didn't grab you when you were you know what I'm saying like yeah. the, he he was complaining that he had been treated unfairly and it was probably the most fair arrest that I'd ever seen. You know like. Um, when they what, who came for me? Oh, Secret Service. They didn't even call the marshals for me. The Secret Service just staked out the house for like three days, and then they pulled up and jumped. Well, out. a lot of these agencies they don't want to turn over the cases to the marshals because if they work it so long, they want to have you know the success of making the arrest. But unfortunately, oh. some of them can't, and that's where they call they turn it over to the marshals. Like we had a great we have a great working relationship with like DEA and ATF, you know, but there right. was. You know they're out in the street every day. They're 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 building cases all day long, and they actually don't have the time to do surveillance and go get the perp. Right. You know they have so much other stuff to do. Yeah, and and uh, I was just say in my case, like they knew exactly, like they were given an address. Yeah, you were there. I was there. Like yeah. they're gonna watch it. They actually watch. I actually had was staying in a hotel with. We'd had a robbery, and so you know we weren't staying there anymore, and we were staying in a hotel. But and the local sheriff's department or police department just they knew we'd had a robbery. So they called and said, Hey, can you meet us there so we can get the surveillance uh, tapes? And I said, sure, no problem. And I pulled up because they'd watched it for three days. They were like, this guy, where's this guy? He's not here. Yeah. 
And so I showed up and they, they pulled up, but it was funny too, because they, the secret service, the FBI wasn't, the FBI had an indictment out of Florida. Secret service had one out of Georgia and like, they weren't cooperating. Yeah. And so, you know, with each other. And so I don't know if they didn't want to call the marshals. I'm not sure when they finally grabbed me. Um, I know that it was so funny. I had called the FBI agent when I was on the run at one point just to, to see if I could turn myself in. Like, look, maybe I could get to deal or something. And I was talking to her. And at one point, I said, okay, she was going to call the U.S. attorney and see what he could work out. And, and she said, um, she said, uh, I, I said, well, okay. And she goes, well, here, just, you know, give me your phone number, which I'm sure she already had, you know, like. I called on a cell phone. She goes, give me your phone number and I'll call you back. And I went, eh, I said, you're probably tracking this call. I said, I, I'm going to shut off the phone. I'll call you back. She goes, oh, get over yourself. <laughs> she goes, you're not that important. And I was like, yeah, like, who do I think I am? You know? And I was like, yeah. And stop it, watching TV. Yeah. Stop, and I was yeah. thinking, but I was thinking, no, you know what? I'm going to, I just feel like, no, I'm going to. So I said, no, you know what? I'll call you back in an hour. She goes, okay. I hung up the phone, turned it off. Uh, later, when I got to prison, I ordered my Freedom of Information Act, and I found out that she immediately called the marshals. The marshals called like Verizon. Verizon said that phone number was just issued to a phone that was purchased at it was like a Seven Eleven that was connected to like a um, a Subway uh, sub sandwich place. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in the subway this whole time. I waited the whole time, and they immediately issued two marshals to drive to that location. And I just happened to leave before they got there. How long ago was your case? Was your case? Uh, that would have been two thousand. That would have been that specific thing happened in two thousand five. Yeah, those days are over. That's not happening anymore. And the government does it to themselves. They just screw themselves with reporting so much to the courts and everything. Because now you can't do that. Now you have to have a full blown search warrant to go after a phone. Really? Get, oh my God! Yeah. Oh, it's it's funny too because. When Back I, in the day, where you could do you could do a lot more, and that you had exigent circumstances to pull up, you know, to work with. Right. It's funny how you mentioned Verizon and different companies that we had a good working relationship with, but now because of politics get involved, and you know the way the the the, the current events are, right? Is um can't do that anymore. And it's funny because you know what hurt law enforcement was TV and the media and even things like this. These right. conversations is like. They use it to to sell and you know, watch Law and Order and you hear all the language. That's that's law enforcement language. So they're they have law enforcement representatives there yeah. who are retired and giving them the good street lingo, you know. And now you see the movies, you know, it's all there. So you can't do that anymore. You have to, you know, make a report. The agent would have to go to the US attorney, they have to draw up a complaint, issue for a I mean, search that, warrant to By get that it. point, the guy's way gone. long gone, long gone. gone. And now, the and big, they they still miss me. They, they put two guys in the car immediately, oh, and they yeah. still miss me. But but I mean, who knows if 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 I'd stuck around five more minutes, they might have grabbed me. Of course. I mean, of course. And it's funny too because I didn't know I was writing my memoir when I had ordered all these documents, right? So I kept saying it was a track phone, track phone. I forget what I what I was referring to. And when I actually got the documents, I documents in, I actually saw like they had the phone number, they had like it was whoever it was like Virgin or Verizon, whoever it was, I was like, oh, wow. Like it was, so but I was, you can only go back so far now because you're not allowed to look at so much information. And it's the same thing like trying to do your IP address on your, your um, computer, the computer. Yeah, it is. 
what they won't they won't you have to you have to have a warrant you have to have a search warrant to get any of that stuff now it's hard it's hard it's real hard i appreciate you coming by and uh yeah thanks for making the drive and uh let me know how things work out and when your book comes out you know we'll do another we can do another thing another um podcast if you're interested and i'll try and put you in touch with uh wade he you know he I'm, i'm sure he'd be interested in doing a podcast too and uh yeah so let me so if you like the video do me a favor hit the subscribe button hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this leave me a comment in the comment section i'll try and respond to as many as possible i really appreciate uh, you guys watching and thank you very much see you